And we're live with Angular Error. I am your host, Kent C. Dodds, and um, I am um, joined by two awesome developers. And so I'll just go ahead and introduce them real quick. Jeff Welpley. How's it going? And we have a panelist stand-in, um, uh, Minko Gitchev. Hello. Uh, and he's standing in for Patrick JS today. Uh, we're actually going to have Minko on the show in a couple of weeks. Um, talking about immutable JS, and so that's going to be awesome. But he's standing in today because um, the more the merrier on this show. So we're going to be talking about Angular fundamentals. Um, so if you're a newbie with Angular, um, that's great. We love you. We're happy to have you um, in our community. And this show is going to be dedicated to you, um, as well as uh, veterans. I, I find that lots of times I learn things that are really fundamental and basic about something that I use every single day. Um, and it's I, I don't know why that happens, but we don't know everything. So hopefully this is valuable to everybody. Um, and uh, yeah, we're just going to chat about uh, fundamentals with Angular. So uh, before I get started, um, if you have questions for us to answer um, while the show is going on right now, you can tweet the hashtag ngairquestion. And at the end of the show, we will answer your questions. So tweet away, um, and get your thumbs ready, and uh, or or your fingers. Probably it's likely you're watching from uh, the computer. So yeah. Um, and then just a couple of general announcements. So next week's show is Angular Grid with Mayal Crosby, um, and that's just a week from today, same time, same place. And as always, follow us on Twitter and Google Plus at Angular Air. Um, to keep up to date with the latest and greatest um, of what's going on with the show. Okay, so all that said, uh, let's jump in. So um, the, I think the first, probably the first thing that you uh, that we want to talk about um, with respect to Angular is, uh, and Angular fundamentals is, what is Angular? What is its role in building web applications today? So. That is the first question, and I'll just throw that out there, and we can discuss um, what is the role of Angular in web applications. Well, for me, uh, Angular is just like other client-side frameworks are built so that you can build complex applications in a browser. You know, today you can obviously build mobile apps you know, natively on iPhone or Android, and you can build websites just having like static pages and that type of thing. The thing that is always interested me and uh, is really powerful is using something like Angular or you know the, another client-side framework to build something that works and feels like you know mobile apps. Something that is, it feels like something that you would have just natively on your whatever device you're using, um, but it's coming through the web. You don't have to actually you know download and install it and that type of thing. Um, at least that, that's how I kind of look at it. Yeah, on the Angular website, I, um, if you go to angularjs.org, um, the like tagline at the top is HTML enhanced for web apps. So um, the browser gives us a ton of HTML um, that we can use to kind of structure our page and, and have different elements and, and things about our page. And then we have CSS to style it and JavaScript to like manipulate it and stuff. But uh, uh, 
the traditional like jQuery time of the past was like extremely imperative, very difficult to know what uh, is going on with what. And so by enhancing the HTML um, syntax or um, I, I guess the, um, the tools in your tool belt in the HTML, um, HTML land, um, you're able to much more easily uh, reuse code and, and have these uh, reusable components. And so that's some of the things that uh, Angular does really, really well is give you more of a declarative way to deal with your uh, web applications um, enhancing HTML. Um, so, Yeah, uh, it also handles a lot of the boilerplates you have when you're developing a complex single-page application which aims to simulate the desktop user experience, like uh, not requiring reward of the page each time, but instead incrementally loading the data and templates required for the page. Yeah, and uh, basically provides you a basic structure, basic architecture for your applications in order to handle complexity easier. Totally, and I think it's good that you brought up the single-page applications aspect because uh, of, of times past it was, you know, you just generate an HTML string and send it back with every request. Um, and there are good things and bad things about that. Um, and for most applications, it's just easier to say, here's everything that you need, um, and just request like the pieces of data that you need later um, as the user interacts with the app. And so things feel a lot snappier, um, and that's kind of why these front-end uh, libraries and, and frameworks were developed, uh, so that the user experience can be uh, faster, uh, even if it requires, I guess, a little bit of upfront uh, cost on the user side uh, to load some of these, um, uh, some of this JavaScript and stuff. But that's where server rendering comes in, and there's all kinds of exciting uh, things coming up with uh, with that. But yeah, we're gonna have a whole, we gotta have a whole show on that sometime, Jeff. Um, yeah, for sure, for sure. That's a uh, like level, you know, ninety or something like that. We're gonna like build people uh, up to that. Um, so, you know, <clears throat> just talking about uh, the Angular in particular, you know, we, we talked about just in general some stuff about client-side web applications. You know, the thing about Angular in particular that, you know, I love and, and helps with this process is that Angular makes it really simple to get started. That's kind of, in my mind, the, the thing that, one of the things that makes it really good for developers so you can take just uh, plain HTML with nothing else uh, in it, add uh, you know script tags so that you include Angular core, and then just start working in the template. Like so, if you just with that simple, um, simply working within HTML, you can start working in Angular. You don't have to deal with a lot of the boilerplate like Miko was talking about and a lot of setup time, and you can create these kind of rich web applications, relatively simple, you know, to get started with. And that's what I, I think makes Angular distinctive for, you know, beginners. Totally. I think that's part of why it's received so such a huge adoption, um, and it's, I, I, Pretty sure nobody can contend that it's by far the most popular and or most widely used front-end framework um, currently. And I think uh, it's largely because it's just so easy to get started. You don't even have to know JavaScript to be able to build something simple in Angular. 
especially with all the libraries that come out, um, you just say, oh, I want a date picker. Well, I just go get one, and I, and I don't have to do any JavaScript. Maybe put a little string in my module, uh, like when I create my module. But uh, that's it, and everything from there is just HTML. Um, and there are good things and bad things about that. Um, but uh, for the most part, it's just it's very, very easy to get started, and I think that's, um, that's a, a plus for uh, the Angular framework. Definitely. So there are a lot of concepts um, about Angular, even though it's easy to get started. Um, once, after you like, pass the initial um, like producti productivity, like, wow, this is awesome, and you have to start getting into things a little bit more deeply, um, you have, uh, there are many things that you have to understand. Um, like, let's, let's just say, in, uh, imagine in our minds we're going to have a, like a little input box, and we'll have a list of people's names. So um, you have your input box, and you put your ng model on that, and then you have your ordered list or unordered list, and you put an ng repeat on that, and then you have a filter. Um, and then let's say you want it to um, be like the person's name at index, and then the index. So then you have to have the dollar index in there. So with that very simple thing, it's very easy to create, but there are tons of things that you have to know and understand. Uh, uh, well, you don't have to know them and understand them, but if you want to use Angular effectively, you should. Um, so what are some of the things in that scenario that uh, you, need to, you need to know about? Well, take the uh, first time. Maybe we can go back and forth on some of those concepts with, uh, between Minko and myself, because there's a lot of them in there, right? Yep. So the, the first one uh, is a controller, the concept of controller that uh, actually I'll do kind of combine to talk about a controller and directive because you mentioned these things like ng model. Like there's attributes um, that are put within elements that you see in your typical Angular template and those encapsulate certain pieces of functionality that are either behavioral, like they affect the behavior of that element, or they're structural, that that uh, changes the structure of the HTML in some way. Um, so there, there's a way of defining what a directive is in Angular 1, and that, that then you turns out to be usually an attribute the way that people in know that you can do element or comment, or I don't know who uses comments for directives these, these days, but probably no one. <laughs> I, I hope that's been deprecated. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's very odd. But anyways, um, but the, the point is that you can create these pieces of functionality that get attached to HTML. And then the controller is where you put, um, well, you can put some of your business logic. I mean, a lot of best practices is to kind of make your controllers really light and push stuff out to services that we can talk about in a minute. But just for like simple apps, most of the time what you're doing is using the built-in directives that come with Angular Core, so there's all these directives that come with Angular Core, like ng-bind or uh, you know, ng-if or ng-repeat. Those are all stuff. You don't have to create those. Those are part of Angular Core, and they do different pieces of functionality, so you can look in the Angular documentation and see what each of those directives do, and you can use them in your templates. But then your own custom code, um, usually for beginner apps, you're not writing your own directives to start off with, but you are writing uh, in controllers, so you would put an ng controller and then define 
in that controller for that given piece of um, snippet of HTML what kind of functionality you want, whether it is you know, handling a form submission or anything like that. And Minko, maybe you want to cover yeah. some, add to that or add uh, some other stuff. Yeah, sure. Uh, what I love actually in the directives is not only the way they encapsulate the DOM and the structure or the behavior or logic of the DOM, but also how they extend the semantics of HTML by creating uh, something like a domain-specific language inside the HTML because we are actually extending it with custom elements or tags or whatever by extending not only the syntax but also the semantics behind it. And this makes our templates easier to learn, to read, and easier to reason about our applications only by taking a look at the template. If, of course, we've uh, used appropriate names for the directives. Uh, about the controllers, definitely, yeah, definitely. If you are building something which uh, is not planned to scale that much, you can approach by putting some of the logic, uh, your business logic, in the controller and. And uh, eventually, if you scale, you need to uh, move this logic into separate services, as we are going to talk about them a little bit later, I guess. Yeah, so with that, um, on that point, uh, so like the, the service would be the place where you would go and retrieve this list of names that we're showing and filtering on the screen. And so <clears throat> basically, the controller, its, its whole responsibility is to um, connect data with the template um, and initialize and, and then um, have like functions and, and different functionality uh, to uh, connect the, the template and the user's interactions back with um, uh, with the data or inter interactions with the, the state of your of your UI so you check a checkbox and it, it does this other thing um, or, or something like that so the the controller um, in like a, an app that should that scales that the properly designed app uh, should be extremely light, and then uh, it just manages um, setting up the the view model uh, basically um, to for your uh, for your view, and then it connects with with your services. Uh, and so, if we're going back to this example of this list of names that we're filtering, um, we talked about ng model and ng repeat. These are directives that that modify the behavior of HTML or of these these components, and these are both uh, uh, built into Angular. The ng prefix is kind of reserved um, unofficially, but sort of um, for the Angular built-in directives. And then um, with uh, as part of the ng repeat, you have this uh, thing that's called a filter. And so uh, you can think of ngrp, it's an, attri attri uh, sorry, an attribute directive, and the value is this special syntax for ngrp where you can say, um, you know, like, name in names or something like that. And then from there, you can actually filter that, and so you pipe it like you would on the command line with just, like, a vertical pipe, and then you can pipe it into a filter. Um, this filter's name is actually filter. <laughs> And, and then that can accept arguments with colons. And so, like, don't get hung up by syntax if you're not familiar with this. Um, but uh, that is another uh, thing about Angular that you have to kind of figure out and, and just get used to is that special syntax uh, for filters. Um, but filters are actually quite simple. They're, um, all that they are is a function that takes an input and, um, and some arguments 
and then returns the output. And so in the case of uh, the filter, filter. Um, it, it takes we, should, we should probably mention if people don't uh, are familiar with the filter, filter, they should check out the ng-conf, uh, Shai's ng-conf talk. Uh, we could get that in the show notes. Yeah, definitely. It's hilarious. There, so some of the things that we're going to talk about today, I think we'll, we'll touch on the um, ng-wat, um, and we'll get in the show notes. But uh, yeah, so this the filter filter um, takes in the array of names, and then based off of what the search criteria is, that would be an additional argument, it returns um, the filtered uh, names, so the ones that, that match the search term. Um, so that is the basic idea of a filter. You can have a filter for the ng-repeat, uh, like in that example. You can also have a filter for um, how, how you display data. It's, filters are solely responsible and, and, and should only um, manage the display of data. Um, and they, they never impact the actual value of the model or, or the value of the data or anything. So you have a filter for currency. You have a filter for, uh, there's a, a great one for translation. Um, from the library called Angular Translate, not built into Angular. You have, uh, yeah, these, these filters that are meant for displaying things to the user, and it, and it just makes things really easy to, um, uh, to do, so you don't have to do all that extra, like, pre-processing logic in your, in your controller. So that's the filter part of this little contract example. One thing I, I wanted to add on to what you were saying, Kent, is that you, when you talk about filters, uh, and actually this also touched on something that Miko brought up earlier, that there are a lot of things in Angular 1 especially that you do when you're starting off with an app, like simply uh, a simple app, and it's totally fine. Actually, it helps because you know using filter basically in your template to change some of the results that come back from your back end, it's extremely powerful and it's very uh, easy, like the syntax is concise. But the problem with filter sometimes, as, long, as well as a couple other things, and your too many nested ng repeats, that type of thing, is it can lead to performance problems. Uh, it's this kind of common criticism of Angular that the things that make it simple also make it hard when you're building more complex apps. So just one thing to be aware of is that you know when you're starting off an app, totally fine, just use you know all the stuff that's there because it's not gonna it's not gonna impact things that much at all. But you know as you start to like build out more, you'll see that certain things like that may cause performance problems depending on what you're doing. And in that case, there are very simple things that you do to alleviate that. Like the, the um, thing that I definitely prescribe to from Gleb Bamatov is to kind of, you know, j just do things that are simple at first and then once they start causing problems, you kind of optimize it. And uh, the good thing about an Angular is that there are pretty easy ways to optimize it too. So for like filter, for example, the whole idea is that it modifies the data set sort of at the end right before it's displayed. So in memory, it's like all the results are there, but then you're sort of changing that right at the display level before it's shown to the user. But if you're having a performance issues, you can, of course, always kind of pre-compute a lot of that stuff, you know, in your service or at kind of an earlier level so that it doesn't have like the full um, set of results that are in memory and, and maybe uh, causing some of those performance issues. But it, you know you don't see won't see a lot of that until your app gets larger and more complex. Yep, I completely agree about this. And uh, one more thing to alter about the filters. 
Uh, so we already said a few words about directives and controllers. And filters are just another component which has very strictly uh, very strict uh, responsibility only for formatting data. I, I really like how Angular enforces this uh, strong separation of concerns in building your applications. And this way you can definitely reuse your code easier and create strongly coherent and uh, loosely coupled components. Yeah, actually, uh, I'm just going to go off on that a little bit. Um, so I've given a, uh, a training. It's called the NG Workshop. Um, you can Google it, um, Kent C. Dodd's NG Workshop. You'll probably find my slides and, and the repo. Um, but in there, I borrowed this from um, a friend of mine, uh, Dave Geddes. He's one of the organizers at NGCOP. And uh, it, there's a diagram that shows um, all these concepts of Angular um, and kind of demonstrates the separation of concerns. And so um, just at a high level, you have um, your controller, which is responsible for initializing uh, the data for the template or your view model, um, also known as the scope of times gone past. Um, and so its, it's sole responsibility is initializing and, and setting up the data for, for the template. Um, and then you have the uh, directives. And they are the only place you should ever be touching any DOM APIs ever. There's no excuse to be touching DOM APIs anywhere else, almost. Um, so yeah, that, um, that is actually a, a huge benefit uh, to have a very isolated, like, um, there's only one place where I ever touch the DOM. Um, and, and so that is a really nice separation of concern. And then also, you, you kind of have the filters that are isolated or, or um, yeah, separated in the fact that they on, are only responsible for uh, data display and uh, like how you take data and, and um, format it in the way that you want it displayed. And then you have the services, and they connect with the controllers, and they're responsible for interfacing with uh, between controllers, interfacing between directives, um, and with a third-party uh, backend or something like that. Um, and so, yeah, I, I totally agree with you, Minko, that it's uh, one of Angular's strengths is um, its separation of concerns with these different uh, concepts and, and uh, yeah, um, um, components, I guess. So what do we have left? Um, yeah, should we talk about uh, services, factories, providers, value constants? I think yeah. Minko said that he wanted to explain the difference between the three. <laughs> <laughs> well, take it away, Minko. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, basically, uh, I see them as syntax sugar for uh, using different. Ba basically, they provide. Uh, ba basically, what provider is it creates you? It allows you to create um, a configurable service. And factory and service are just different ways to create a service which cannot be configured during config time. Basically, you cannot inject their providers. And service uh, is a method which is uh, attached to any module which uh, basically allows you to create a service by giving the service name and providing a constructor function. Basically, the function which you provide as second argument of the service method of the module is uh, a function which is going to be invoked as the constructor function with new. 
And I'm using such services, uh, I guess, sometimes. However, I actually prefer using factories. They gives you a little bit more freedom of what's, how, you're going, how, how you want to create your actual service. Um, I like uh, structuring my communication with the backend, similar to active records like uh, Ruby on Rails. And using factory, I can easily return just a function which I can later use exactly as uh, my model, like my model, and I have different uh, operations which I can perform with the backend using XML HTTP request or whatever. And with provider, yeah, we, you can you can simulate the behavior of both service and factory with provider, and you can alter extra configurational options. Yeah. I, I'm in total agreement with you too. All of my stuff is factories. I know some people are in adamant disagreement with that idea. Um, they really, really, really like their um, sort of classes in JavaScript. Um, but uh, that's maybe a different conversation. Um, but uh, yeah, so, and then for my providers, I actually, most of them, um, I just uh, basically make my provider um, well, yeah, like, uh, forget it. I need code. <laughs> so. well, the thing is, the reason why provider is needed is because there's some sort of initialization that occurs, like that some object that there's this step right when Angular is starting up where everything that's a kind of provider gets this initial, whether it's pulling data in or configuration step or whatever it is. <clears throat> um, you know, it's, it's one of these things that I think with all, all everything, service factory provider, you, you sort of have to deal with it in Angular 1, but they, I think they got this more right in Angular 2 for sure, where everything is just like a basic module. Like you don't have to like have all these different ways of just syntactic sugar that confuses people like on top of that. So like, I agree with what you guys are starting to say that just to clear the confusion, if you can, just use factory. Don't worry about the other ones. I mean, or if, if you really want to, just pick pick one of the pick service if you, you have to. But I think factory does give you more um, flexibility. And then only use something else if you absolutely have to. Like I, I've had to, leave I also just use factory. There are a couple times where I've had to use provider because I'm trying to interact with something else that is a provider, and a provider can't inject something that's not another provider. Uh, so th those are the only times that I've had to. Otherwise, it's always factory. Yeah, well, for a provider, for example, H uh, Angular has uh, HTTP provider, which basically is returns the HTTP service. And using the HTTP provider, you can configure the default headers, headers which should be used for HTTP requests and some interceptors which are going to be used as well. So yeah, I'm, I've used a couple of times provider just as you said, and most of the times it was only for slight configuration over my service uh, during configure time. Yep, definitely. Yeah, I, I, I do the same thing with the, uh, for any of the HTTP interactions. So that, that's a common use case for sure. So let's not forget our friends uh, value and constant, um, which are also abstractions on top of uh, ultimately a provider. Um, 
just non-configurable, and uh, their functions are not injectable. Um, and so I actually, uh, well, um, that to say that is a little misleading. Um, so you have your Angular module, and there goes my lights again. I'm just going to be here in the dark. You have the Angular module, and um, you can say, like, dot .controller, dot .value, dot .directive, dot .whatever. Um, and so with dot value, you give it the name, and then you give it the actual value. And similarly with uh, dot constant, you give it the name of the constant and then the actual value. And that is what will be injected um, when uh, it's required. So I actually have a question. Um, I always, if I need something like that simple, um, I will always just use constant, because I actually don't know the difference between constant and value. Do either of you know that difference? Well, I, I, I don't use them that much, but I would imagine that uh, you can't change constant, right? But you, you can update a value. Right, but I, my, I guess I need to look into it a little bit more, but, and maybe somebody on Twitter can, can answer my question, but uh, I, I don't know how you would, because like, you, can, you can change properties of constant, um, but I don't know how you could update um, a value. Like, let's say your value was a string that was hello, I um, think how would you update that? I think with a decorator. Oh, I think you, okay. yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I, I basically never use decorators. That's like level 90. <laughs> but maybe, actually, since you brought it up, uh, do you want to talk about decorators? That, that is, Here's a little gem for people who's, who All right. need Angular. Yeah, I, I used, so I've used decorators, I think, once or twice. and. Uh, I built a library for aspect-oriented programming using decorators. It is at my GitHub. Uh, and basically, decorators allow you to enhance the behavior of a service you've already defined somewhere. Basically, they allow you to create some wrappers of methods the service provides and uh, add ex extra properties or methods because JavaScript is pretty dynamic. So you can extend the objects uh, you have defined any time, basically. And that's exactly what I'm using for the library for aspect-oriented programming. And I think that's it's also an interesting topic, why it is required to, uh, to register all these services, all these services uh, and constants. And basically, you can use, uh, you, you can just skip their usage and Use and define any global functions which uh, you can invoke directly from your controllers, but that's not definitely not such a nice practice. Um, I see the the, the two the, the two biggest benefits of using service factory provider constant value. Uh, I see the the two biggest benefits as uh, first of all taking advantage of the dependency injection because th this makes our code much. Much more testable, and uh, yeah, that's basically what it does, uh, and probably more work. And also, the second of all is uh, that you're not coupled with the creation of these services because you are defining the logic for their their creation in the factory or the or the service method, and that's 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 all you do. You don't have to. Uh, be coupled to the logic of the creation of the service in a couple of controllers or other services. Well, the only thing, though, with that is that in a real app, I don't know, I've never found use for the value in constant by on their own just because 
Uh, I've always seen it as something as part of some other object. So, especially because I, I, I'm trying to do this kind of universal JavaScript thing where my module can run on the client or the server or anywhere. So any of those things that you would normally put in, uh, in a value or constant, it's not that it's bad, but just for my own practice, I usually have a module, an object that is in, ultimately in a factory that just contains, I mean, depending on what it is, you know, uh, part of some other values, um, you know, like whatever. I usually don't name enums, but like that's kind of like an example. If you have like an enums object that has like a bunch of just uh, string values that you kind of can inject other places that's exposed as a factory. Um, so you don't necessarily have to use those other things. Although the one thing I guess I, I have used them for is for prototyping because when you're prototyping and you're working just within the template, it is nice to just use a lot of the stuff that's built into Angular. So just kind of within the Angular template, you can kind of very easily, like when you're, um, especially demos and that type of thing, uh, you know, very easily use like the value or constant just to kind of like set up data and that type of thing. Um, not, and again, not, not that it's wrong to use in your normal app, but that's just something that I'm more used to putting in, you know, factory module. Yeah, and I think in addition to that, um, it's, those are more valuable if you don't have a module system uh, yourself. So Angular kind of invented a module system for themselves because at the time that Angular was created, it, it, there was no module system. There was sort of CommonJS, there was uh, AMD, um, but uh, they decided to go on, on their own um, because you, know, you, you uh, don't want to have to require your users to have a build step. Um, um, presumably, I, I don't know what, what the reasoning was, um, but I, I think it was a good call at the time. Um, and so by making everything that you have injectable, um, it just makes it a little bit uh, um, easier to make sure that you are being explicit about your dependencies. Um, and so that, uh, that can also be valuable but, as well. But if you're, if you're transpiling like you should, using something like Webpack or Browserify uh, browser or something, um, then uh, you likely can just use ES6 imports or CommonJS uh, to get those like common things that you need. So, um, Amy has joined us. Say hi, Amy. Hi, Amy. <laughs> Hello. Sorry, I was looking at our notes. What we've gotten to already. <laughs> yeah, you're good. Um, so I I stuck in another uh, question in here. That I think would be interesting. Uh, Minko uh, brought it up is a dependency injection. Uh, so who wants to talk about why dependent, or what dependency injection is and why it is useful? I think Amy said she wants to, Amy wants to explain exactly how DI works, right Amy? Just joking. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't think I'm the best one to explain that only because I, I, people make fun of me for saying this, but I don't have enough experience with, you know, other options to have a good opinion on that. That sounds. That's. I mean, I can I, I can give my my newbiest explanation, but like I said, I just don't have enough uh, experience. You know, I've heard like people have pros and cons of it. Some people hate it. Some people like it. So I just don't have enough experience to say one way or the other. That that sounds reasonable. I actually also don't have a lot of experience with alternatives, um, but I can say. Um, uh, Maybe I'll just give a, a brief overview of what 
the concept is and why I think it's cool, um, and then I can be corrected. Um, so uh, dependency injection is um, basically the, the idea is for any given component, you declare what it is that you require. Um, so you have like a, a unicorn service that gets you a list of unicorns. Um, and so rather than imperatively saying, um, uh, like just creating your component yourself and creating your instance of the unicorns uh, service or something and uh, invoking your component with that unicorn service. Instead, you simply inform the, uh, the framework that, hey, I need an instance of unicorn service, um, so give that to me when you create me. Um, and so Angular has some magic under the hood to um, be able to tell what it is that you require um, and then uh, to provide you with the things that you need um, when, uh, when it instantiates you. Um, so like your directive or your controller or something. Um, and so that's, that's the basic idea. And uh, it sounds magical, and that's kind of a, a dangerous thing. Um, people don't like magic. Um, but uh, the reason that it's so useful and um, helpful is it makes your stuff very testable, because it's very, it makes things easy to mock. Um, because when you're just invoking um, or, or creating your own component, you can pass in your own version of that thing um, by uh, informing Angular, hey, I, I want to change what this thing is to be my own version of it, and it has the same methods with some spies or something like that, um, making it much easier to mock. Uh, so, uh, and, and the value there is, is for testing. Um, so that's one area where it's um, really useful. The kind of the downside to that is um, it implies that you have to set up your injector, the thing that's responsible for giving you the stuff that you need. Uh, you have to set up this injector ahead of time, um, meaning, or and, and the problem with that is uh, your injector becomes uh, some global state uh, with a global namespace, uh, that, and so you run into problems with uh, name collisions or um, um, but you, you have to make sure that you have things loaded in the right order. And Angular kind of takes care of the loading things in the right order as long as you get uh, your modules declared before anything's registered on them. Um, then it will make sure that it doesn't um, like create anything until it, it's, uh, all of its dependencies are ready. But uh, the, the global uh, state thing is a little bit of a tricky uh, situation when you're overriding um, different things. So that's just something to be aware of. Um, because of that, you need to make sure you prefix all of your stuff. Um, and yeah, so that's a rundown of what dependency injection is and why it's cool. And I think two of our uh, panelists have frozen. Jeff and Minko, are you guys there? Am, am I frozen? Yeah, uh, You are not frozen anymore. OK. <laughs> well, so what I was going to add to what you're saying is that um, one difference between Angular 1 and Angular 2 is that, like you were starting to say, Angular 1 dependency injection does both module loading, it, it has some responsibility, and module assembly, where in Angular 2, it just focuses on module assembly. And so the difference there is that, um, you know, in Angular 2, there's the ES6 module loader, where you are actually defining in your code, like using the ES6 module loading system, how modules are being pulled in. With Angular 1, 
you have to like it's it is this global uh, value, right? You're you're attaching stuff to the Angular object. So Angular dot module, and then name the module, and then dot whatever, whether it's a controller or whatever else. And typically, you do have a build system that you know it all gets kind of bundled up. But at the end of the day, you're you're using the Angular global object instead of attaching everything to it, and you kind of uh, everything works off of that. And as far as how things get injected, it all works off of tokens. So in people who are have you know used, especially Java is, is big into DI with various frameworks, Swing and or not Swing. Um, forget I haven't done Java in a long time, but uh, they they have a lot of other. Yes, yeah, spring, spring, that's what it is. Um, so it works off of tokens so that you have a something that represents the thing you're trying to inject, and then when the DI system encounters it, it looks at that token and then instantiates you know, that value like you're saying. In Angular 1, the tokens are all you know string-based. E- well, either you're using... Uh, just the function um, that you're trying to inject, and in which case Angular will do like a two-string on the function and actually read in the string values. But that's a problem because when you're trying to min- minimize Angular uh, code, it will uglify those parameter values and then it'll mess up the de- dependency injection. So to solve that, you know, there's this hack where you put an array with the actual string values that uh, that you're, the string tokens you're trying to use. Uh, and you know the uglification won't affect those actual strings, and then it'll still work. In Angular 2, they've sort of gotten around that by you know because they you have the ES6 module loader um, that's uh, being used, and you actually use anything as a token. It, it doesn't have to be a string. It could be you know a class name. It could be whatever else, uh, and that is you know a lot more powerful. Yeah, I see one more uh, drawback in the Angular 1's dependency injection, and that's it, that the parameters, they can be uh, injected by name, as you said, in the controllers and the, and the services, uh, but they also could be injected by their position as they are in the linked function in the directories, for example, and that's one more thing which uh, Angular 2 is handling pretty well. And, and that, that could be confusing. Yeah, exactly. Very true. Yeah, that's a good good point. Uh, so you have to, and, and I see this a lot with uh, with newcomers to Angular. Um, it's it's pretty valuable to um, study some of the APIs of Angular and recognize which functions are injectable and which ones are not. Um, and injectable functions are simply functions that are invoked uh, using the Angular's injector. Um, and so, yeah, that's like. It can be a little bit confusing, um, but you, that's just one of the things that you have to learn when, you, when you're doing Angular is, um, can I inject something into here? Oh, no, I can't. It's not, inject, it's not invoked um, using Angular's injector. Um, and as kind of a fun side thing, you can totally invoke functions yourself using Angular's injector, and I do that occasionally, but that's certainly not something that you do very often. Um, but, uh, yeah, you can totally inject the injector uh, which is kind of fun. Um, so next question or concept that I want to uh, bring up is when is it that you decide it's time to create a custom directive? Uh, 
Well, so uh, I'll start off here. I mean, it, it does depend on where you're coming from. So like, I, I, if you're a beginner and you're just you know, starting out, uh, you may not do it until you start to create something real where you have, uh, I mean, there's two main use cases for directives, right? that it's a behavioral thing that you're trying to, like you were mentioning earlier, Kent, you know, where do you put DOM interactions, like where you're touching the DOM? And a lot of times you want to isolate those into behavioral directives. And so that is, you know, one use case. You, you don't want to have it in your controller. You want to move it to, um, you know, a behavioral directive that you can kind of just attach to your template. Um, but the other thing is just from a purely, you know, your approach to developing the application. If you want to think in this kind of component-focused way instead of just ng controller, so ng controller is something that's useful when you're starting off. You know, again, one of those things that we mentioned. But when you're building something real, you know, a, a kind of best practice that's developed over time is to look at things in this component-focused way. And when you're thinking of things and breaking your larger application into smaller pieces it's very useful to have this um, structural directive where a directive behaves like a component in Angular 2, that it uh, defines a set of you know, a template, behavior, everything that's kind of a sub-section of your app. And it kind of is something that you can kind of nest you know, further and further, create a component within a component within a component, um, you know, and so on. And so that's where when you kind of think of directives in that way, uh, it's something that you would use everywhere, potentially, like all throughout your app, if you, if you kind of go down that route. Totally. Um, and that, I think, um, the idea of components and components was, well, it seems like all of the different front-end frameworks are, are uh, converging on, on this idea as being kind of a better thing. You have React with the components. Um, I'm I, I'm not very experienced with Ember, but I imagine they encourage the same kind of idea. And Angular 2 is all about components. Um, and uh, I know that I'm going to um, get some backup here from Patrick when I say um, that you should be inlining your templates in your directives um, because as your template gets huge, it will be painful and it, you will... Uh, consider to yourself, maybe I should break this out into multiple components, and that's a good thing. Um, and so even um, directives aren't just, they're also for um, uh, making things easier to test um, and isolated, and so uh, creating um, isolate scope directives, um, also commonly called uh, component directives, is a really good practice, and I um, tell everybody that they should be doing this. Um, and, and kind of like what you said, Jeff, it's, it is a good idea maybe to um, start off, you know, if you're just learning, like don't worry about making custom directives. The, de the directive definition object um, is really, really complex, um, especially like for a beginner. Um, there are a lot of different op uh, options there and stuff. Um, but as, as you get to be serious with the app that you're building with Angular, um, you're definitely going to want to learn how to leverage the, uh, the DDO, the Directive Definition Object, um, so that you have um, the ability to make these uh, component directives. And once, once you actually get it, then uh, it, it isn't really all that bad. Um, but structuring your code in, in that way 
uh, and structuring your app uh, as components is totally uh, a pro tip for me. I think, um, hold on, yeah. I think another way to think of components and directives is something like services and helper functions. So you can think of a component like a service as a class. And inside of that service, you use a lot of helper functions. And that could be like, do this one trivial thing, right? And the idea is that you're composing many like, helper functions together to create a certain behavior. So you can kind of think of like that being a, a directive, which is like a helper function to help you achieve some sort of behavior. And um, yeah, the whole like template inlining thing, that's a that's a whole other <laughs> debate, but essentially like um, with the, the MVC architecture that we're used to in Angular, um, like it's with controllers in general, like um, basically you end up with a lot of markup and that led to people like saying like you should always um, have a reference to the uh, you should always like not inline our, our templates, right? And um, that's because we have a lot of markup, um, because this whole like sheet becomes you know one huge controller um, that changes with the component architecture because you kind of rethink the way you um, like isolate your your logic, and that's where the divide um, begins and um, how like it makes sense with the component architecture to inline your, your templates as opposed to to not. I'll just cool. back. Oh. Go ahead, Amy. Sorry. No, I was just going to back up what everybody else said. I think it's like very popular. Everybody knows that you should use a directive when you're repeating yourself. Um, but I think not so many people are aware that you should go ahead and consider using a directive, even if that's not your case, just to break things up. So I was just going to emphasize that too for beginners and. I think too, from a beginner standpoint, um, you know, sometimes if you're just working on a small app, like you're kind of teaching yourself Angular without working on a production app, um, it's kind of hard to have enough context to to really grasp like the full reason why you would want to use some of these concepts until you get onto a larger app. So I wouldn't stress too much about it. It's definitely not something to start with right away. Plus one. Awesome. So we are coming close to our time, um, and so I think we should uh, probably. Um, man, I really wanted to get to some of these other things, but I think we should probably just talk about some of the resources to getting started with Angular, um, and then we can go into our tips and picks and close this up. Um, so I'll go ahead first with a couple of resources. Obviously, AngularJS.org is a great resource. Um, and on the AngularJS homepage right now, there's angular.codeschool.com. Um, that's a, a good place for getting started. Um, also, I'll, I'll go ahead and answer one of the quick ng-air question, um, hashtag questions from David East. He asked, um, which Kent Egghead I.O. course is best for getting started with Angular? Um, and so I'll just answer that by saying um, there are it's not by me, um, but there is a terrific Egghead.io course um, by Lucas Rubelke, um about building an Angular application, so I recommend you check that out. And Egghead.io is awesome. Um, and yeah, so those are a couple good resources. Uh, do you know any others? Yeah, I can include one for one of my picks. Um, it's totally free. It's a 
and I may have picked it already on here before, but it's a GitHub account, and it's just like a compilation of tons and tons and tons of different resources, paid videos, podcasts, screencasts, you name it. It's got everything. What's the uh, account called? Uh, I will put it into, I'll use it as one of my picks, but it is Jonathan Z. White AngularJS-Resources. Sweet. Yeah, we'll get that in the show notes. Thanks. Yeah, I would also second the, the Lucas, um, especially front-end masters. Um, like, Lucas's uh, introductions to Jangular, those are really good. Um, so, yeah. I would recommend one little bit more advanced resource. It's by Tero, uh, Build Your Own Angular. I think it's, it's a pretty awesome book. Yeah, that's a, a fantastic book. I, my coworker is working through it right now, and, and uh, he really likes it. Basically, you you build Angular, um, and it's yeah, and like it's not just for crazy computer science advanced people. Like you can totally do this. Uh, so, Jeff, do you have any um, ideas for good uh, resources? Yeah, I'll uh, include a link. I, I don't remember off the top of my head, but uh, there's a wiki page that I always reference that has like all the links you could possibly think of. Um, and so I, I'll include that in the show notes, and it's really great to start off with. Cool. Thank you. Uh, okay, so is there anything else before we get into uh, Q&A on Twitter that we just absolutely must um, talk about? Okay, let's uh, go to... Uh, the questions on Twitter. We have a couple, um, a couple from David East. I think some of these may be trolls, um, but I'm going to read them out loud. <laughs> so we'll see how it goes. So using Angular Fire when learning Angular allows you uh, to not just build toys, but actual functional apps. <laughs> and the hashtag is ngr question slash ngr statement. Um, <laughs> so yep, there you go. Um, thanks, David. Uh, actually, that is totally cool, and I really like Angular Fire. Um, so if you're using Angular and you don't want to host your own server, Firebase is a fantastic uh, resource for you. OK, um, so he asked another troll question, but I'm, I think it's good to answer this. Um, is testing your code really that important? Uh, so what are the thoughts from, from the panel here on why testing your code is important? I'll, I'll go first. Um, essentially, when you're prototyping, like honestly, don't test, because the the idea when you're you're prototyping is that you're you're writing code that would have potentially be thrown away, so it would be kind of extremely pointless, because um, what the idea is that you're trying to reach a certain like uh, goal and you're trying to like prove you're it's more like exploratory programming. Um, don't test. Um, when you're creating a library, always have tests. Um, so testing is really important for that. Um, application code, that's also like debatable of how much tests you should have, but uh, regardless, um, the consensus is that yeah, you should have tests for that. I would say that if you don't like clicking around um, over and over and over again, you should have tests. <laughs> um, and I, I guess you could, you could either do that, or if you don't mind um, fixing fixing bugs at 2 in the morning, um, then, yeah, go ahead and not test. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, testing your code is extremely important, and especially if you want to reach the pinnacle of, of beautifulness that is continuous delivery, you're going to want to have both unit tests and end-to-end -end tests 
Um, and I think we had a show on that. Um, yeah, we did a couple of months ago. So uh, you can go check that out. So the last question on uh, with the hashtag engineer question on Twitter is um, why is AngularJS not considered a complete MVC? So maybe that comes with the implied uh, definition of MVC, uh, which stands for Model View Controller. And that's a very common um, design uh, pattern for applications. So um, Angular refers to themselves as MV star, I think, or N MVW, MV whatever. Um, so why is that? Yeah, so what's going on here is that um, Angular doesn't really have an opinion on the model layer. And that is something that we see like in, in background, you have like a model, and that's like a more traditional MVC, but like, well, that's another whole thing. But like, um, essentially, um, the the Angular way is more of like giving a very light opinion on how things should be structured. For example, like DI and everything, and they don't quite like enforce like this is how you should do something. And because of that, um, we got like really cool like folder architecture of like of state you know base uh, or module base uh, folder architecture rather than types. Because previously, like application development has been like structured by types forever, um, but it's it's more of like, yeah, I don't know if that makes sense. Because um, like now I'm getting into like other topics, um, but yeah, it's just I'm just trying to say like that it doesn't enforce like a, a a huge opinion, but gives you enough leeway to kind of structure dark tech your application and as much as you can go. Yeah, um, I I would add um, that it's. Um, uh, like I consider Angular to be more of a MVVM, which is uh, model view view model, um, where the controller is um, really like it, it's not responsible for business logic like a traditional controller would be. It's uh, more concerned with the the view um, model and setting up the data that you need to be displayed to the page. Um, and so you, you uh, whatever whatever that really means. So if if you need to finagle some of the data or or attaching um, uh, or, or uh, responding to things that uh, that the user interacts with your with your page um, and managing sending that uh, whatever data you need to services uh, which are your core business logic. Miko, did you have any comments to add? Yeah, I agree. I completely agree with both of you. Basically, you are not coupled with any microarchitecture. You can structure your application in MVC fashion, or model view presenter, or model view view model, as you said. Basically, that's why uh, the W stands in the end uh, for model view, whatever. Cool. All right, so um, having taken about an hour of time already, we're going to get into the uh, tips and picks, and it looks like we've lost Jeff, and we may have lost Amy. So, um, yeah, we'll just go with what we have. Um, I'm still here, if you can hear me. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, sweet, awesome, Amy. Um, I think uh, Google Hangouts, because uh, Google changed their logo, it's broken Hangouts. <laughs> just kidding, but it does keep being buggy, so I can't really see your pictures very well. So sorry for Hangout. So, <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, Let's let's start. Actually, Amy, do you want to go ahead and, and get us started with uh, tips and picks? Sure, I'll go for it. Uh, nothing horribly new from last week. I'm going to pick uh, the Angular Remote Conf again. You can get your ticket, Angular Air, discount code for 20% off. 
you got that from last week too. Um, but so I will add to our Google Plus page. My pick this week will be the resource that I just mentioned earlier. Um, it's got tons and tons and tons of resources all in that one GitHub account. So some of them are free, some of them are paid. Uh, the ones that I really liked when I was learning Angular, obviously, um, like a lot of the Pluralsight courses are good. A lot of the Egghead courses are good. Um, I think, I don't know, for me, nothing beats actually writing code in my own editor. I'm not a big fan of, um, like, some of the tutorials that just uh, ask you to type something in and give you a bunch of hints. I like to do it myself. So those are my picks for this week. Thank you. And I've never actually taken the opportunity to thank the Angular Remote Comp um, people for giving us a discount code. That is super, super nice of them. And I totally recommend you go or um, not go as it, uh, as it is, <laughs> but uh, that you, you watch it and watch it live. Um, I am giving a talk on how to open source your stuff. Um, and so it should be awesome, hopefully. Um, sweet. So, um, Patrick, what do you have for us? Yeah, so my pick is NG Hackathon, uh, nghackathon.com. Hackathon uh, that's in two days. It's uh, Jeff Cross, Lucas, uh, Dan, Wallen, and I are going to be, you know, teaching some Angular 2 to some people um, in Arizona. Um, and that's going to be in two days. That's going to be cool. Um, my other pick is also um, Angular Connect. Again, that's going to be a really awesome conference. Um, attend if you can, or um, attend and say hi to me, um, or watch the live stream and, and say hi to me anyways by tweet, by Twitter. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, that's my two picks. Um, for a tip, uh, I can't really think of anything off the top of my head um, other than, like, um, if you're doing ES6, if you're writing ES6, make sure you actually learn, like, uh, ES6, like, the, the difference between, like, let, const, and, well, if you already know bar, the, the getter setters, um, that's, well, that's technically ES5, but, like, if you're writing any ES6, make sure you actually look up, uh, like, how exactly that works. Um, yeah. Cool. Close one. Uh, I'll go ahead, and then we'll give uh, Minko the last word on uh, picks and tips. So, uh, for my tip, um, we didn't get to talk about um, the structure of files. Like, so where do you put files in your folder structure? Um, and one thing that I'm just like so 100% on board with is keeping your code, so like your JavaScript and your tests and your HTML templates and your CSS files, everything that is needed for a component, keep them all right next to each other and name them the same thing. So if you have, like, crazy directive, then it'd be crazy-directive.js, crazy-directive.css or less or sass or stylus or whatever, and then crazy-directive.test.js um, and, and .html. All of those right next to each other. Um, it, uh, and then you use tools to uh, load uh, these files in, in the way that, like, that you need to for your app um, and recommend uh, looking into Webpack to do that. Um, and I have egghead lessons. Uh, there's my self-promotion. Uh, so, yeah, um, yeah, that's a good idea. So I also I wrote a blog post this morning called Sane Na uh, File Naming Conventions. So um, that'll be in the show notes. But basically, it's uh, tips on uh, 
good conventions for how you name your files for your different uh, directives and services and stuff. It's Angular specific, but the concepts are generally applicable. And then finally, um, I released a series on Egghead IO recently called How to Write an Open Source JavaScript Library. And so, yeah, it's just a good thing to do. There are so many reasons to do it. And um, there are, I think, 12 lessons up now. There are another 10 or 11 that should be released soon. And then I'm going to be making more and more and more. Um, so open source is important to me. And it, um, I hope it's important to you because whatever you're watching this on is using tons of open source code. So um, yeah, that. Uh, Minko, what do you have for us? Well, uh, recently I found a project which is I guess new and still under planning in the Angular organization. It is the, the CLI two for Angular two and eventually Angular one, but most likely not. So I would recommend you to take a look at it and just contribute with your opinion for its development and features which you want to see there. Great, thank you. I'm looking forward to that. There are so many awesome things happening in Angular right now. It's mind blowing. Okay, cool. So uh, I'm so sad that Jeff is gone and he did not tell us what his picks and tips are. So we are just going to wrap up. Um, thanks everybody for watching. Uh, just to close us up, next week um, we are doing Angular Grid uh, with Nal uh, Crosby, and he's the one who created it, and it's really cool. So um, check that out, and then follow us on Twitter, Google Plus, uh, to keep up to date with the latest and greatest. We're at Angular Air. And uh, that's it. So thanks, everybody, and I'll, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Yeah.